Welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden. I'm one of your other co-hosts, Peter. And and then we have a guest co-host. Hey, guest co-host, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Eden's and Peter's father, John. Yeah, we got... Here's the thing, listeners, dear listeners. My parents are out visiting for the first time in a couple of years. They came out for Thanksgiving. And as soon as I knew they were coming out and I knew that it was a weekend that Peter and I were going to record, I was like, we got to subject dad to this movie we're going to watch and then we can <laughs> chat about it. It's so true. Dad, it's true. Dad has graciously offered to join us for the pod this week. Um, and it should be fun. I mean, I'm anyway, excited about it. I, we watched a much better thing than last time. That's all I'll say for right now. We'll get to it when we get to it, listeners. Uh, Peter, what you been up to? Um, you know, before the, uh, before we started recording, I shared, uh, with dad and with Eden, my, uh, last few days of uh, getting violently ill over the weekend. And so sounded really nasty. <laughs> it was awful. I mean, I don't even think I ever got that bad of a GI bug when I was in Guatemala, which is that's saying a lot. Um, but it kind of led to a few days of uh, Gareth and I sitting around and watching uh, Team Ninja Warrior on Netflix. They have randomly one season from 2017, uh, but we watched uh, the entirety of that. And that's about it, because any other free time I have right now, for the most part, I have been spending it writing uh, I am still working on my book for NaNoWriMo. I am currently up to a little over 43,000 words. And so I'm in the home stretch. I will definitely hit my 50,000. And I can also say that when I hit 50,000, I am going to be a long, long way from being done with this book, I fear. Okay. Because your one last year clocked in at like, what, 60-ish when it was all 61, said 61, 62, somewhere in there. And maybe this will be that, but... I don't know. Again, I'm at 43 and I feel like at least in sort of my head planning where I'm at, I'm only about halfway through act two. Uh, I don't think that act three will be as long as either's act one or two. So, you know, I, I'm more than halfway through the book, but I still feel like I'm, I don't know. I feel like it's definitely going to go a little bit longer than 50,000 words for sure. That's fair. 50, you know, 50,000 ain't that long. It's that long, long, but it ain't that long once you like put it on pages. But uh, it's really not. I mean, it's just around 200, which, you know, that's that's not that big. That's technically, I think you'd kind of call that a novella. So I guess I can't actually say that I've written a novel yet. I've just no, written a novella. You, no, potato, potato. You've written a novel. <laughs> 200, 200 pages is still a novel. I think anything yeah. 100 plus, you triple digits. That's a novel, baby. You All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, you know, honestly, mostly, like I say, I've been doing that. I've been writing. Uh, I do listen to music when I write. And um, the newest album, Engraved with Pain by Boston's Mourn, M-O-R-N-E, uh, they've kind of been my jam. It's sort of post-doom, I think, is the best way I would describe it. And so long songs, slow build-ups, you know, reminiscent of some of the aspects of neurosis, but a little more doomy than sludgy. Okay. And so that makes for really good writing music because it kind of sits in the background a little bit. It has some ebbs and flows, crescendos and decrescendos, but 
it's not like I'm listening to, you know, thrash or, or like death metal or something that's a lot more frenetic. And so it's, it's been good to write to, um, I loved the band really got into them when they're 20, I think 2018 album came out and kind of hadn't listened to them in a while. So I've been going back and listening to a lot of their older stuff as well. And so that kind of musically has been most of it. And then again, writing and a little bit of gaming, you know, I did play last night while we were all kind of sitting around. Uh, we played uh, Jackbox Party Pack 10 because that's fun. And yeah, there's a couple good ones in there. There's a, <laughs> there's a really funny one called, oh, I can't remember. It's some play on the Do Re Mi thing. It's sort of a rhythm game where everybody who's playing picks an instrument and then you'll have almost like a, a guitar hero slash rock band-esque uh, note highway coming down and you're tapping on your phone or whatever, trying to match these up. And then at the end, it like plays how everybody did and you get to listen to the whole song and it's pretty spectacularly bad and hilarious. And we laughed a lot while we played it. So it was a good time. Nice. I, I heard about that one on a podcast I was listening to. It sounded extremely fun, extremely goofy. Yes. I, uh, that one was definitely the highlight. I The thing about those Jackbox party packs is like, I really like them. I own all of them except for this one that just came out, number 10. Have I played all of the ones that I own? No. I've played like three because we just don't have opportunities to play them very often. Like, Yeah. It's it's when we go to visit Cassie's family and then we can make everyone grab a phone and that's like the only time we ever use them and it's a shame because I think that they're really fun and really goofy uh, and I just don't have a re when there's two of us we just play a board game. No, I mean for us it's definitely when some of the kids are home. You know, it's when Jess or like last night it was Jess and Max were here and so there were five of us or if Aubrey's home or whatever. Once we have at least kind of a group of four of us, then we'll break them out. And it works really nice because I'll buy them on like the Apple TV. And so we can all sit there on the 70, whatever, seven inch TV or what I don't remember how big it is. Anyway, the big TV in the living room and everybody can sit there and it's on the TV and we've all got our phones or tablets or whatever. And it just, it's great for that. But I agree if it's just Alyssa or I or Gareth or I, you know, we, we don't break that out. It's just when we have more people. I did a, I tried to, we tried to play some when we were visiting Cassie's parents last, um, but their TV was kind of being a butthead about it. I had them installed on my Steam Deck and mm -hmm. it refused to recognize the signal coming from my Steam Deck to the HDMI port. It was just like, really? we're an old TV, we refuse. Well, that's a and so, because I've gotten the Steam Deck to work with that same cord. I've gotten it to work with For other... Sure. TVs. It, so it was clearly on the TV's half, not the Steam Deck's half. Yeah. But it was kind of a bummer because we were going to like play, you know, you, again, you install those things on the Steam Deck and like for the Apple TV, easy to just put on a big screen somewhere, but it was a butthead about it. So well, that's I was going to use, going to use number nine and do number nine finally. Didn't happen. Well, that's too bad. Such and you know, life. the other thing I would say about the Jackbox Party Pack is at least in my experience, <clears throat> There's usually, say, five games in there. Two, maybe three are going to click with me. The oh, other yeah. ones, usually. 
not. And we'll try them like once sometimes. And then we're just like, that's it. We're, we're not going back to that one, but it's okay. We definitely that's, get enough out of them. That's definitely true. Well, how have you guys, what have you been up to? Anything that you've been checking out that's uh, worth talking about? You better believe it. Uh, a couple of nights me. ago. So a couple of nights ago, we sat down to watch the movie that we're going to talk about here. But the version that I had did not have subtitles, which complicates oh. things when a movie is in Chinese. <laughs> so then I, in my Plex, you know, in the Plex program, it's like, hey, there's some community subs. And so I'm like, well, sure. let me try some community subs. Listeners, the community subs would not line up with where they needed to be. Uh, oh, dear. And so we couldn't watch it. We ended up eventually just watching your copy last night because yours had the subs where they needed to be and mine did not for whatever reason. It, so it all worked oh, out. Good. But so then two nights ago, we were like, well, I guess we're not watching Police Story tonight. What should we watch instead? So I uh, introduced our father to Godzilla versus Kong, which he had not seen. Oh, like the, the recent? Yeah. Okay. The one from a couple years ago. How how did you find it, Father? What did you think of this film? I thought it was great, actually. What did you like about it? Well, the monster scenes are wonderful. Some of the story is a bit odd, but the monster scenes are great. Yeah, it really... it. I hadn't seen it since it came out. I had recently... It was on sale on Amazon for the 4K Blu-ray, and Ooh. I was like, I've never watched a 4K Blu-ray but an Xbox can play a 4K Blu-ray, so I guess it's yes, time it to finally get this on physical media since you can't trust streaming services to ever have your back. So no. I was like, okay, it's on sale. I'll get this 4K Blu-ray. So it was my first time watching a 4K on our on our 4K TV and with the Xbox. Looks like a million bucks, man. It, it's, it's wild how good a 4K Blu-ray looks. <laughs> it's in, it, you know, you forget how much you're losing in a stream until you watch a 4k blu-ray again and yeah and you see the basically the uncompressed whatever like it is it is almost breathtaking the difference it's a uh, well and it made me feel like i'm gonna go sickos mode for 4k blu-rays when i find them on sale now like just slowly but surely replace some things that I know I really love and have had long enough that they're only on DVD. Those could stand to be upgraded to a 4k Blu-ray. Sure. Why not? Oh yeah. And then once you do that, you got to put them side by side and be like, what does Pacific Rim look like on DVD and 4k Blu-ray? Oh my goodness. Oh, how were we living back then? <laughs> Very but anyway, good. Godzilla versus Kong. It's stupid. Like dad said, <laughs> like the story is just dumb, but, uh, it's the fights are real good. It does. It was funny though, as we were watching it and it was like, how am I supposed to believe Kong could ever compete with this boy? Like Godzilla's just got it. And the way King Kong just never will. Yeah. He, t he has to go get an ax that he then has to power up with Godzilla's breath to do anything with. So it's not like he could even use it. If it was just the axe, like Godzilla, there's a reason Godzilla is the king of the monsters. Even if King Kong says king in his name. <laughs> anyway. So I have a quick question for you. Are you planning on, have you watched, are you interested at all in uh, Monarch legacy of monsters on Apple TV plus? I am very interested in it. I, I, ha 
like I have those three episodes downloaded. I just haven't gotten to them yet. I've heard that the Russells really carry it. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that like cuz cuz part of the problem with those monsterverse movies as a whole, the all four of them is the human and this is often true of of kaiju movies as we have discussed at length on this podcast when we watch those Gamera movies. Often, even when the action is really exciting, the monster fights are really fun, the human element is often lacking because that's not what you really go to these for. You go to these to sure. watch the big monsters duke it out. So then they're like, ah, we'll write a maybe serviceable, goofy side story that, oh, there's a hollow earth. Ooh, we're taking the maglev train between Pensacola and Hong Kong over the course of an hour. Like goofy stuff, whatever. Right. But I've heard that this Monarch show really leans into the characters and that they're really likable and that specifically uh, Kurt Russell just carries it on his back, apparently. He's just really great in it. Well, and you know, I wasn't really familiar with Wyatt Russell, except in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And while that show had it's had plenty of problems, I actually he was thought great he was it. great. I thought he was great. He was really good in it. So yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to maybe wait until four episodes are out and then like shotgun those babies back to back to back. Well, you know, I, I was one of the other things that had me interested is like in looking at people who are, 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 um, writing and who are involved in this. There are a few people who, again, it's doing a lot of switching between who's directed, who's writing and stuff, but at sure, least the, the first show. two episodes, um, were directed by Matt Shackman who directed many of the episodes of WandaVision. And I oh, liked that. Okay. And Matt Fraction, who I think you will recognize the name is writing one of the episodes is later he? on in the season. And so I look at that and I go, okay, so there's some interesting people who I'm familiar with some of their other work that has me going, all right, all right. I mean, I have Apple TV plus I'm going to watch it. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm, I am, I'm downloading them illegally listeners in case you wondered, I do have, <laughs> you know, my, my phone, my new phone, when I got the iPhone 15, they were like, Hey, we'll give you four months of Apple TV if you want it. So I could just activate that but i'm saving that that's in the pocket for a later date in case i need it but sure. uh, i am excited for that the big the big godzilla thing i'm excited for is this coming week uh godzilla minus one comes out here in the states which i am absolutely thrilled to go see we are going on wednesday night to a an imax showing because they have a one night imax showing of this film this is the new toho godzilla film right uh it looks dope. Uh, it looks really, really good. Um, it's the first uh, period piece Godzilla movie, which I'm really excited about. It looks like a million bucks. Uh, and, you know, Shin Godzilla was really, really good back in 2016. And people are saying that this one is even better. Maybe the best Godzilla movie ever made is what I've heard from multiple people, which is wow. quite a claim. That's quite a... Because, like, when Shin Godzilla came out, I love Shin Godzilla, but everyone was like, this is clearly the second best Godzilla movie after Godzilla, the 1954 movie. But people are saying minus one might be better than the original. And that is wow. a heck of a claim. So I'm really excited. Y'all hear about it in a couple of weeks after I've seen it. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. Godzilla is one of those things that I loved as a kid and just haven't gotten back into partaking in the Godzilla movies as an adult, even though 
Like I own them all. They're on my Plex. I've bought them through Apple TV or uh, iTunes, whatever it was at the time. But uh, I'm definitely interested. And so, yeah, uh, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. I mean, we all know I'm sickos mode. The man, the, the, the name is on my arm. I love Godzilla. His face is literally tattooed on my shoulder. So I'm a big Godzilla <laughs> fan. That's cool. You know, and you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for more Godzilla and we get the sequel to Godzilla versus Kong next April. Uh, that's, that's, it's a great time to be a Godzilla fan folks. There you go. All right. Some other stuff I need to mention. Um, just quickly, uh, I'll probably go into detail on one thing, but the other things just deserve a little bit of mention. I read a very, very funny book called this girl is probably committing tax evasion. Um, <laughs> okay. I like this the title already, uh, which is a book, um, about this young girl who has become like a fan artist and she's so busy because she's so popular drawing like fan artist pictures that she's missing school so her teachers send her neighbor who used to be her childhood friend over to her house and she uh basically to hide the fact that she's become a fan artist she tries to convince her neighbor that she's accidentally committing tax fraud and he being a super conscientious person is like you can't you can't do that so she basically just uses it as a front to hide her the behavior that she doesn't want him to actually know that she's doing, which it was very goofy. It was very fun. Um, it was a delight uh, of a book. Um, I, I have been playing a lot of video games. One of them I've been playing for a couple months and I was waiting to talk about till I finished it. Um, and that is tales of a rise. Have you heard of tales of a rise, Peter? I have seen it, uh, on like the steam page and stuff. I didn't really look into it and any listeners could guess why I didn't really look into it, but I'll just I leave mean, it at that. You're not an anime game kind of guy. Like you, that's not your that's style. putting it mildly. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I had heard about Tales of Arise, heard it was pretty good, put it on my back burner and I was like, whenever it's on sale, I'll pick it up and I'll play it eventually. And so I picked it up and, uh, it was listed as one that ran really great on the Steam Deck. So once I got my Steam Deck, I was like, oh, this can be like the RPG that I'm playing on my deck. And so that's kind of how it started. And then after our trip to Maine last month, I was like, I got to finish this game. So I like buckled down and like played a bunch of it because it's a pretty long RPG. I think I ended up putting 45, 50 hours into it. Um, the way I would describe Tales of Arise is what if it was Final Fantasy 16, except it didn't suck this time? <laughs> All right. It was, it, it does a lot of the things that Final Fantasy 16 did, except way better, made me care about the characters, and like had a coherent storyline that I was way more interested in. And like even deals with a lot of the same themes. Your main character is still like, a big burly dude who wields a flaming sword. This is the same game, except Tales of Arise was good this time. <laughs> um, still deals with themes of like slavery and exploitation and all this, and like the effects of magic on the planet and all these sorts of things that are the exact same things Final Fantasy 16 was doing two years later. And the only things I'd give Final Fantasy 16 is it doesn't look like anime characters. And I don't gotcha. think that that's a plus or a minus. That's just a fact. It's just a thing. But Tales of Arise was more fun to play. The characters were far more likable. Um, the, I uh, okay, combat was uh, 
comparably not that great. I think the Final Fantasy 16 combat is not very good. And everyone who's like, it's so great. I'm like, just go play Devil May Cry. That's good combat. This mm-hmm. is like a bad recreation of Devil May Cry. Um, and so Tales of Arise's combat was not that great, but uh, it was pretty fun. And I really like the characters and uh, the the DLC just came out and I haven't gotten to it yet, but I will soon because I think that it was a really, really fun game. It it was everything I wanted Final Fantasy 16 to be, which just nice. made me that much more disappointed about 16. <laughs> Um, and then when I finished that, I tried a couple of games that I thought were pretty cool, but like, I don't know if I'll finish them or not, which are Solstice, uh, Soul, like S-O-U-L, um, and Dusk Divers, which are both a couple of like smaller indie games, um, that are just kind of action games. Uh, Dusk Divers seems like it's trying to do like action persona, but it's only like a nine hour game and maybe I'll go back to it because nine hours is no big deal. Um, but Solstice really felt like, oh, this is claymore the the um video or the comic book claymore and then they didn't get the license for it like they were clearly trying to make a claymore game and i really like claymore it's one of my favorite books uh so solstice is interesting i'll probably go back to it and then lastly i at a whim bought the very terribly titled and sent out to die in august immortals of avium did you try immortals of avium at all peter no it is, I don't even it's know a, if I remember hearing about it. And that's, this is the problem. It was EA original game that came out this summer um, on the same day as Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, that was a bad move. Yep. And uh, it's an interesting game. Um, it's a first-person shooter, but it's magic instead of guns. So, so I'm, I'm on know. the Steam page right now for looking at it, and... Look, I'm a sucker for flashy things, I guess. I don't know. The little video that's playing has me going, ooh, this looks cool. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say. It's pretty cool. Like, it is pretty fast-paced first-person combat um, where you are swapping between, like, blue, red, and green magics, which manifest in different ways. And basically, there's just guns. Blue magic is like your scout rifle where you do like one high powered shot from a distance. Uh Red magic is just a shotgun and green magic is just an SMG. And so like you play it like you would a shooter, except you're doing cool magic stuff. You get cool implements in your left hand that do other things. Like there's a magic whip that draws enemies close to you. So it works really good with the shotgun one. Cause you know, you like whip them close and then you just boom, get them when they're really close to you. Sure. But, like, it's kind of a charming game. It's a very first game from the studio, Ascendant Studios. And it's a real bummer that I think a game that shows a lot of promise and I'm having a lot of fun with it. I haven't finished it. I'm, you know, probably 10, 15 hours in. I'm really enjoying it. It shows a lot of promise. And the studios already had to lay off 45% of their workforce because it sold like dog crap because it came out the same day as Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, that's a bummer. And, like... They should have just held it. Like EA should have just said, we're going to float you till February and we'll put this game out in February when there'll be more people who will have more of a chance to play it. But it got sent out to die. And like, I think I saw a thing like during its very first week out, it had a top concurrence on steam of like 700 people playing it. So like this game really just came out to die. 
And like I, I was playing it, I'm playing it on Xbox and I download the demo essentially. And again, this is proof that they just want anyone to buy this game. I play through the whole demo. I get to the end and it's like, will you please buy our game? We'll give you a 55% off coupon. And so I was oh. like, oh, okay, if you're going to give me a 55% off coupon because I just played your hour and a half demo and I think your game's kind of cool, you know what? I'm going to buy your game. So I bought it and I'm really enjoying it. Well, I was going to say, you know, the Steam fall sale is uh, going on right now. And so I'm, I'm I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh, okay. You know, it's 50% off. Maybe I'll check it out. I mean, I'm, I'm having a good time with it. I think it's pretty fun. I, I'm going to look it up on uh how long to beat because i'm curious how long this game is 18 hours if main plus side stuff perfect oh, that's that is that's a perfect, perfect length game yeah. that's a perfect length. i'm halfway through this game perfect um so yeah I, I would recommend checking it out i'm having a lot of fun excellent i'll definitely have to check it out all right well we should we should move on to the main event because i feel bad because dad is just sitting in the other room listening <laughs> to us talk about video games and he's like i played I was going to uh, say, uh, Dad, uh, is there asteroids. anything you've checked out that you would like to no. uh, share with us? <laughs> I'm afraid this is totally not my part of the world. You could you could tell us all about Frederick Farrar's Life of Christ, which I know you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe not today. It's pretty good. He's coming at it from a Catholic perspective. That's what I'd say about Frederick Farrar's Life of Christ. Uh, anyway, let's move on to our main event for today. So today we watched, uh, listeners know, last time we we watched the movie Jim Cotta, which <laughs> both of us explained was very bad. Very, very, very bad. <laughs> it was so bad. And so in retaliation to Peter for making us watch a very bad action movie, I was like, maybe we should watch a very good action movie. <laughs> So I had us watch the 1985 Jackie Chan classic Police Story. Peter, had you ever seen this movie before? No, I had not. Are you have you watched much Jackie Chan at all? No. Um, you know, I don't watch a lot of movies, really. I watch more movies for this podcast than I do in my free time. So um I've I've I mean <laughs> going to sound terrible. I've seen like the rush hour movies and I don't know what else I've seen with Jackie Chan. Oh, there was that one with him and Owen Wilson. <laughs> That's like, oh, the wild Nights. Nights. yeah, there That's we go. It. Shanghai nights. Yep. Yep. That's that pretty, pretty much okay. it. Shanghai nights is fun. It was, it was funny. Um, uh, well this is, uh, this is a class. I don't, you know, dad, you had mentioned you had not seen this police story, but you had seen one of the other police story movies, correct? Yeah. Which was totally different. Yeah. I think as we were, we were Googling about last night after we finished the movie. Cause you know, he, dad had said, Oh yeah, I th- I've seen police story. It was years ago. And so I was, you know, reading Wikipedia pages, trying to figure out, cause he pretty early dad was like, this is not, this is not the movie I remember seeing. Um, apparently he had seen police story 2013, which is ah. a, a reboot sort of movie that also stars Jackie Chan is another like police espionage story like this one, but far less goofy mm. as dad explained to it, to me last night, he was like, Oh, the other one didn't seem like it was funny. Like this one is, so I don't know what, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, cause this one is pretty funny. Yes. Uh, 
so this is, uh, again, this is 1985, same year as Jim Cotta. Uh, this is one of Jackie Chan's most famous performances and one of his most famous uh, films. He co-wrote it. He directed it. He did the action choreography for it, starred in it, wrote and recorded the uh, the theme song for it, which we don't get in the international release, which is more's the pity. I want to hear Jackie Chan sing the song. Yeah, but we don't too. hear it in our version. Uh, but this, so this is a classic, and it came out in '85, made it really big in Asia, and was one of the first Jackie Chan movies that was, uh, you know, imported to Europe and dubbed and did really, really well. Kind of put Jackie Chan on the international scene after a couple of kind of abortive attempts to move him over. One even just earlier this year with the movie The Protector, which did really poorly and is not a very good movie. Um, but this was the one that people were like, okay, maybe we really need to pay attention to Jackie Chan. And then slowly but surely, he has become the institute, the cultural institution that is Jackie Chan. Um, so you hadn't seen it before. What did you think about it, Peter? How did you find this film before we go into like the details on it? Uh, this is a weird film. Uh, Alyssa it watched really it with is. me. <laughs> and, and like the whole time we're watching it. Like, no, no. Okay. I enjoyed the movie. I didn't feel filled with regret at the end of this movie like I did at the end of Gymkata. So Fair. let me just get that over and kind of out in the open to say that far more enjoyable watching experience. But it's weird. Um, it is at the tone of the movie is all over the place. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of it that is very silly and goofy. And then there's these parts where it is very not silly and goofy. And it, it almost feels to me like we kind of have two movies. We have most of the movie, which is the silly kind of goofy action movie. And you've got scenes like Jackie Chan out in the police office in the middle of nowhere, where he's been sent <laughs> with the phones and eating you know, his ramen with the pencils as chopsticks and accidentally eating one of the erasers and, so you know, all this kind of goofy stuff that's going on. And then all of a sudden you've got like the last, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes where it feels much more serious and it's still kind of goofy. But at one point I'm like, oh my gosh, we are breaking so much glass. People would be dying left and right with the amount of cuts they're getting from the glass that is breaking. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and it was like the first part again, had this kind of lighter playful thing. And then at the end, it really didn't. And the way it ends, um, without like, you know, I'll let you kind of go into that, but, but it ends in a very not fun, playful sort of place that felt a little bit at odds with where I felt most of the movie was. Yeah, but then it does like a very weird like goof turn in the last 30 seconds on top of that. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it a just, it's totally inconsistent. <laughs> that's that's one way to put it. Uh so how did you find it, Dad? What did you th what did you think about this movie as we were watching it last night? Well, I thought it was funny and the first part of it is so frenetic. I almost uh, thought I was going to get dizzy or throw up. But after that, it settled down. But then it gets really serious at the end. And Jackie Chan wasn't smiling. 
but I like the movie. I mean, if you want an action movie, this <laughs> this has a lot of frenetic action. I don't know. I think it's really fun. I definitely agree that it is very tonally inconsistent. Um, and it, as as we mentioned, later entrants or later reboots of the police story um, film series are a lot more serious. Um, you know, there was one that was a reboot called New Police Story in like 2004 that was quite serious. And then uh, Police Story 2013, which was also quite serious. Um, but this really gets wild as a series as it goes along. Uh, eventually, it's where Super Cop comes from, if you've all ever heard of Super Cop Police Story 3, where Michelle Yeoh joins the cast. Um, and so they have really great repartee between the two of them, um, which is really fun. Uh, but so I'll give a quick synopsis of this film and then we can talk about details of things we liked or didn't like or whatever. I will say, as Peter said, we were talking last night about it. There's a lot of broken glass. There's a lot of sugar glass in this movie. <laughs> I can, so much. So I can much. only imagine how much sugar was just destroyed on the floor of that mall by the time it was all said and done. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so anyway, this movie is about this police officer named uh, Chan Kakui, uh, Kevin Chan, if you want, in the uh, European dubs of the 80s, but we'll call him Kakui. Uh, so he is a cop who is able to stop a, um, a, a bad guy. He's a drug dealer from getting away in this big... Uh, action scene at the start of the film happening in this like tenement shanty town um he's able to stop him after some crazy stunts on a double-decker bus but then he gets in trouble because he is uh you know too reckless but they're like he's also good at the job was able to do this we can put him out as like the face of the police and so he is presented as this model police officer and given the assignment to protect the bad guy Chu Tao's secretary Selena, who is being pressured to testify against him. Um, there's like not it's not sexual tension. It doesn't seem like they're ever really attracted to each other, except for like once or twice where Kakui's just kind of a perv, but that's like 80s action movies, is that the guys are just kind of all pervs. Um, right. but like they don't really have like sexual tension per se between them. Uh, Selena's like, I don't need protection. So Kakui invents, uh, convinces one of the other cops to pretend to be a hitman and try to, uh, attack her. So that convinces her, oh, I do need his protection. And then as they leave her place, they actually get attacked by the actual hitman, uh, and then are able to get away. They get to Kakui's house where his girlfriend is throwing him a birthday party because it's his birthday and she is super pissed that selena is there because she's in her lingerie from when they were she was at home changing so she's convinced that kakui is being a bad guy smashes some pies in his face there's a series of pratfalls and miscommunications as he talks poorly about his girlfriend uh while she's in the room but he doesn't know because he's in the shower and washing cake off his face um because of his buffoonery uh, it convinces Selena to not testify against Chu uh, Tao. Uh, and so the case against him falls apart. He's released and wants revenge. Uh, so he captures Selena and is going to kill her. Kakui goes to free her, 
and it turns out one of the police is in on the drug dealing stuff and this was all a ruse to capture Kakui uh the other police officer gets killed with Kakui's um, service revolver, and he's a, he tries to escape. He gets Selena to escape, uh, but he is like um, chloroformed and left on on the beach somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes back to the police station, and they're like, "You killed Inspector Man. You killed this other cop." Um, but luckily, that's not what ends up happening. Uh, he's he takes his inspector captain as a hostage, leaves the station. The inspector's like, I gotta come after you, but you need to go finish this. I believe that you can do this before I come catch you, but my job is that I need to come catch you now. Um, while this is all going on, Selena goes and downloads um, all of Chutao's information. So he freaks out. She prints off on some beautiful dot matrix paper all of the incriminating evidence and puts it in a suitcase uh and they both end up at the mall at the same time with chu tao's enforcers coming after them and uh shenanigans ensue the battle rages very truly it is one of the wildest biggest action set pieces you'll see as they destroy every piece of glass in this entire mall (laughs) uh and jackie chan's character yeah yeah multiple stories uh lots and lots of action he knows he's got to get this briefcase the bad guy's going to get the briefcase he does this one of his most famous stunts because again jack jackie chan does all his own stunts where he right like fireman pulls down a pole four stories while all of the lights around him are exploding and he lands in like a shed that's in the basement of the mall or something. Which it's I a just want stunt. to point out, we get to watch the stunt three times. <laughs> I was going to say, they were proud of this stunt. They showed it to I us mean, three separate that, that times. That was confusing. Yeah. Four, technically, <laughs> technically four times, because you also saw it in the credits during, yes. the, uh, <laughs> during the action and bloopers reel. They were like, we're going to show you this one more time. This turned out really good, so pay attention. Um <laughs> It was maybe silly to show it to us three times, but it is what it is. He, they get to the bottom. All the other cops come. We've got the evidence. We've got the witness. And the uh, bad guy's lawyer shows up, and he's like, I'm going to press charges against all of you. And so, again, this is where it gets the, the like, 30-second last stinger turn from, like, seriousness to goofiness. Uh, Kakui just starts beating the crap out of everyone. He, like, beats the crap out of the... Uh, the lawyer and then just his cop friends hold the main drug dealer guy while he just punches him in the belly like 12 times and then it ends just like he's using the dude's stomach as like a speed bag he's just like yeah yeah and then it and then it's like movie's over yes and then it just ends it just is over and it just ends uh yeah so that's that's police story it's really goofy until it's not and then it sort of gets goofy again you know what this movie was was missing at the very end eden what's that just as it like freeze frames and ends it really should have had a little thing at the bottom that said in 1985 (laughs) the first anti-icbm missile base was established in (laughs) 
you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> so it needed for, to end for with context the exact for dad. Thing. At the end of Jim Cotta, it just ends. It freeze frames, and then it says at the bottom. That's how the movie ends. It just says, in 1985, the U.S. established the first anti-ICBM satellite base in the country of Parmistan. As if it <laughs> mattered like, you know, to that movie. As if it mattered. <laughs> I mean, that was well, that's the whole the thing. reason the that's movie happened. That's the whole reason the, the movie happens. And there is no country Parmistan. <laughs> but they treat it like this is based on a true story that happened in the future of when this movie was made because the movie came out in 1985. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. It just, that was the one thing that was funny to me is it was like both of them just like freeze framed and then ended. To be fair, what it really should have said is as a preview of coming attractions, for those of you who haven't seen Police Story 2, it should have said Police Sergeant Chan Kakui was demoted to Highway Patrol after this. <laughs> because that is where Police Story 2 starts. He is demoted to a Highway Patrolman because of the bullcrap he pulls at the very end of this movie, punching the <laughs> the uh, bad guy. Yeah, but, uh, but his girlfriend was sticking with him, and then she's not even there at the end. Well, it was very funny how they're like, Kakui, don't beat up the bad guy. Go save your girlfriend. And then he like goes to try to save her, and that's when the the other lawyer shows up, and then he goes on his like, <laughs> and he's just like his punching spree. I'm gonna just punch all of you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. To be fair, May does come back in the next two movies, so she stays around. and And if you enjoyed this movie, you really should watch the rest of them. They're pretty fun. Super Cop, particularly, is a delight. I think. Also, importantly, important news. Maggie Chung, who played May, uh-huh. is one of the co-leads in one of, I think, one of my top five all-time number one favorite movies, which is In the Mood for Love. Uh, so if you want to see more May, go watch In the Mood for Love. It is one of the greatest movies that has ever been made. Uh, and it's her and Tony Long, who those of you who have seen Shang-Chi should know yep, how hot dad. Tony Long is. He's the hottest. He was great and in the mood for long love. He's incredible in Infernal Affairs, which also is one of the greatest movies ever made. He was in Hero, which is great. He was in Hard Boiled, which is John Woo's best movie. He's great. Well, there you go. So uh, any other thoughts you have on this film, Peter? Um. You know, I don't it know was, what else like there I say, is to really say about it. It's fun. It's goofy. It was fun. Yeah. It's very it was light. fun. Jackie Chan is very, um, Jackie Chan, I think does a good job of being, uh, charismatic and interesting to watch even when, and maybe in particular when his character is anything but charismatic and easy to watch, you know, like I, I think Jackie Chan can be at his best and most fun to watch when in real life it would be like, I cannot look at this because it is so painful to watch. He did. He, he does a very, very good job of making that awkward, goofy, painful, difficult to witness something that you're just like, this is really fun to watch. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Well, and like, we all know my feelings on cops listeners. We've talked about it many times here. <laughs> He does some objectively terrible things that if a real cop were to do in real life, I would be like, this is why I say that we need to abolish the police. But he does it with such panache and aplomb. 
He's just, it's so funny when he he's got four phones that he's trying to go between one with his girlfriend and three other people trying to uh, report crimes. And it's you're like, haha, it's so funny. Haha, it's so funny. And if yeah. in real life this was happening, I'd be like, ah, abolish the police. But it's very funny in the movie. <laughs> I mean, that scene is a perfect example of the total inconsistency of this movie. Because yeah, you have him again, like, sitting here, he's holding these different phones, he's twisted around, he's in a chair, he's he's in the middle of all this. On one phone, you've got his girlfriend. On another, you've got a lost cow. On another, you have a woman who's being beaten by her husband. And on the other, you have a woman who's reporting a rape. I'm like, what yeah. is happening here? And it's played so light, even though, again, one of these women is saying, I've been sexually assaulted. And then he's like, when did you get sexually assaulted? And she's like, and it's played for laughs because it's like, she's like, a year ago but where do I get morning after pills? And it's like, what is this? Is this <laughs> yeah. a bad translation in the, uh, subs or what is going, are they just being weird? Are they just being goofy. Anyway, also, I, I'm not sure what that was about, but it was, so, it, it's a very funny scene because he gets completely tied up. And then his solution is to just leave all of the, cause he's just stuck in this like backwater police station by himself. And all of the other, you know, his superior is like, I'm going on patrol. Call me at home if you need me. And he's like, why, why are you at home if you're on patrol? And he's like, what, you think I can't patrol at home? (laughs) (laughs) You think home is not part of my patrols? It is. Um, And so then he's stuck in this police station by himself trying to answer all these phones. His solution then is to just take all of the phones off of the hook. So no one can call. (laughs) No one can call. Yeah. He eats his he eats his noodles with the eraser tips, which I was extremely squicked out by. And then <laughs> the boss's phone in the other room rings. He runs in there and gets it, and it's the phone company testing the phone line. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It's very oh. weird. It's very weird, but also, very funny. Can we talk about the court scene for a minute? <laughs> We got it. We, we, we have to talk. Okay. So I have a question. This is a legitimate question. This is me exposing my ignorance. Yes. In 1985, uh-huh. Hong Kong was still under British rule and control, right? Until, until 97. Yes. 97 so is, is that when Hong why Kong was given they have the white wigs on because this yes. was like, or, I mean, that was the only thing I could come up with is I'm like, okay, in 1985, they're still kind of part of the quote British empire. So is that why they're like the lawyers and the judge have the white wigs on, but I'm looking at the lawyer for Chu and I'm like, his looks like it's inside out. <laughs> uh-huh. it looks, and it looks to be fair, to be fair, have you ever seen pictures of actual solicitors in Britain? Those wigs look like garbage because oh, it ter- is the dumbest goofy thing that they know <laughs> that they just have to wear because it's the law. And this is a, a failed country where they make them wear stupid wigs in order to be lawyers. Like, what are we yeah. doing? But yeah, no, like this is genuinely the exact situation here. They were part of the Commonwealth. So they are under solicitor rules. And that is why the judge and the lawyers are wearing those stupid wigs because that is the British legal system. And they have to say, to I, and then they have to say, I object. Yes, in say English. it, dad. They have to say, <laughs> right. I object. And yes, sir. And then everything else is Chinese. <laughs> it's very oh. goofy. It was so weird to watch that scene. And that, and I'm glad because that was the only thing that Alyssa and I could come up with is we were like, okay, 85, <laughs> maybe this is like the British influence. They had to do this because of that. I don't know. It exactly was so, so weird. It was so weird. But, but they, and I they, love that when they go to play the tape, 
there's this whole scene of them like bringing out these massive speaker banks. Like it was a rock concert. Yes. I'm like, I have been to metal shows that have smaller speakers than this. I'm like, I was what's say, going on here? This looks like, this looks like I'm, this looks like all, uh, uh, like a uh, Sunno is setting up to uh, do a <laughs> right. set here in the courtroom. And I thought, the, yeah, the, it was the English had sent them all the, the wigs that were too small for everyone else. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they don't fit anymore. And like I say, I no. swear the one guy has his on inside out, which it really looks like it. <laughs> it's yeah, really that scene up. was wild. That scene was wild. Yeah, it's a it's very goofy. And then of course, like, uh, and obviously this is playing with a heightened reality. I'm sure that you can't walk into a courtroom and be like, "Here's a tape from the witness who chose not to come," and they'd be like. <laughs> I mean, I guess we'll just play the tape from the witness who chose not to come. I cannot imagine that's the way that this works. six foot speakers. <laughs> right. But one thing I actually did like about that scene is it is a payoff or kind of a weird, at least what seemed like a weird scene earlier where Selena, you know, this is after May has run off because, you know, um, Chan has been a goofball and, and, and all of everything that had happened with him. And then it's like this weird scene where it almost seems like she's trying to seduce him. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it felt super weird. And then all of a yep. sudden they play the tape and it was actually her kind of orchestrating this and recording over her previous confessions uh, to put him in a, in a bad situation. So I actually, I really liked that part where all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, they're paying off this bizarre scene that happened earlier that at that time I was like, where is this coming from? What is going on here? So I I liked that part. I thought that was a good, again, kind of bring that back around. And again, uh, put yet another um, uh, wedge in between he and may, because may went to be like, I'm going to support my boyfriend in court. And then he looked like he was maybe trying to cheat on her because of the way that Selena did this, you know, tricksy recording. Yeah. And so the whole courtroom, even the judge, the judge is like oh, belly he's just laughing. Busting a gut laugh. <laughs> Which, you know, after the, farce, after the farce that had gone on in the rest of that courtroom, I get it. That inspector or uh, solicitor Chung, Chu Tao's uh, lawyer was extremely good. It, it, to oh, such yeah. a degree that to to such a degree that um uh inspector lee who is like of the two bosses there's like the by the book mean boss and then there's like the i love my good cops boss and the i love my good cops boss is like why don't we why don't we hire him as a prosecutor (laughs) next time what are we we doing which was very fun uh it was an entertaining movie well, and like some of the, some of the car chase or the, the fight scenes are just wild. Like when they're doing that car chase down through the shanty town and oh, yeah. like, you just see these three cars literally going through building after building after build, like they built that entire shanty town set and then destroyed it with these three cars <laughs> driving through it. Oh yeah. Yes. They definitely did. Yeah. Uh, or like the scene where you know the bad guy's trying to escape on a double decker bus and at one point he's hanging off of it by a an umbrella he trusted that umbrella a lot 
Yeah, yeah. And again, this is Jackie Chan. So, you know, Buster Keaton style, he's doing all his own stunts. This is literally yeah. him hanging off the side of this uh, bus that's like driving and t- taking a turn at like 25 miles an hour. And then there is a scene where he like has to run down a hill and stop the bus and like stands right in front of it and pray that those brakes work because it stops <laughs> a foot right. from him and he's got another car a foot behind him and then three dudes come flying out of the front windshield and have to do like tuck and rolls as they fly out of this it's <laughs> yeah. wild to watch and you're just like they're just landing on side they i see everything they're not landing on pads out of out of frame I can see them landing from a second story of a double-decker bus onto the ground and just tucking and rolling and surviving this. Yeah. That's wild. Um, no. And I do have to say, one of the reasons I think they showed that uh, the pole slide so many times, according to the Wikipedia page, uh, Jackie Chan got second-degree burns on his hands from that. Ooh. And, dislocated, and, and dislocated his pelvis when he landed. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Dislocated the pelvis from what? Uh, you can dislocate either your sacroiliac joints or you can dislocate your pubic symphysis. See, this is why we bring you on the pod to bring yeah. the important knowledge. <laughs> yep. Either way, it sounds really, really, uh, it would really be so uncomfortable. Painful. It would be so painful. Which, so you know, painful. And, and then again, you see it in the closing credits where they're like, here's some outtakes. Here's some funny things. Here's some stunts from some different angles. Here's Jackie Chan in a stretcher being taken away from the set. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you're like, okay. I mean, I guess, man. I guess. It was very wild. Yes. Also, one of the funniest things about this is they did that uh, – shopping mall like the entire filming of that shopping mall in one night and they had to have it cleaned up and ready to open the next day (laughs) (laughs) that was a long night for everyone involved (laughs) extreme and again and again he got hurt halfway through it so then the rest of the cast just had to like finish everything (laughs) yeah it would have been rough it would have been real real rough very much anyway I think it was a delightful film. It was a good follow-up to Jim Cotta. Uh, <laughs> because it's actually a good movie. Because <laughs> it was fun. It's really fun. I like Police Story a lot. It did make me want to rewatch the rest of them, and I probably will in the next few weeks. Um, is there anything else you want to chat about before we wrap this episode up? Any other last thoughts on this film? Uh, not for me. I thought it was a, like you said, it was a good palate cleanse from our previous uh, our previous viewing. Yeah. Any Any final thoughts, Dad? No. Thanks for letting me join in. Well, thanks for joining in with us. I thought Absolutely. we thought it would be fun as long as you were out visiting to, you know, pop up a, a third person on the call and have a good chat. Yeah. But we will be back in a couple of weeks um, chatting about something else. Uh, if you think that Police Story was bad, then don't write an email. But <laughs> if you thought Police Story was good, write us an email at feedback at the middle of culture.com and we would be happy to uh, chat with you about it. Um, go ahead and, you know, go leave us a review or some stars on your platform of choice for listening to podcasts and, uh, just know that we love you and are grateful for you as our listeners. It feels appropriate being Thanksgiving weekend to say we are grateful to those of you who listen to the podcast. And, uh, I can remember if, if you leave us a review and you let us know, I'll give you a kiss right on the forehead. <laughs> I mean, that offer is out there. 
offer's been out there and no one has yes. taken me up on it yet. These lips are getting chapped for kissing on foreheads. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, uh, take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.